It was well worn, and while it might have served for rough outing purposes, was by no means like Austin's usual attire. The small amount of money found was also surprising, and Mr. Lord, Austin's partner, called to attention the fact that the missing man always carried a considerable sum about him, and that he had never known him to be without at least one hundred dollars. A man named Joseph A. Dallin, who was said to be an Englishman on a visit to this country, made an affidavit long afterward that he had seen a man drowned in front of the pavilion on the afternoon of July 4th. According to Dallin's story, he was watching the bathers when his attention was attracted to a swimmer who was about fifty yards outside the life raft, who seemed to be half swimming, half floating on his back, and slowly approaching the raft, as if drifting on the tide. When the swimmer was within one hundred feet or so of the raft, he suddenly turned over on his face and sunk. Dallin was sufficiently interested to examine the raft next day through an opera glass to discern if there was any aperture through which the swimmer might have come to the surface. But he seems to have been in no hurry to communicate either to the police or anyone else what he had seen. The cloud of suspicion, however, would have speedily blown away, and Austin would have been accepted as definitely dead, had it not turned out that his life was insured in two companies, both of which promptly refused to accept the evidence of his death. One of the policies, for $15,000, had been issued by the Mutual Reserved Fund Life Association in 1885, payable to Austin's estate. The other was insured by the United States Mutual Accident Association on July 1st, three days before Austin's disappearance. Austin visited the company's office that day and obtained the insurance on his personal application. He represented himself as a man who traveled a great deal and said that he was in excellent physical health. It was recalled afterward that he demurred somewhat at paying the membership fee of $10, that he went out as if dissatisfied and then returned and finally concluded the bargain, after getting a rebate on the premium. He asked the secretary particularly whether the policy would go into effect from that very moment, and asked that it be mailed to him without delay. The policy was accordingly mailed to him that afternoon. From the time that Joseph E. Austin, the executor of his brother's will, made his demand on both companies, detectives scoured this country and Canada in search of the man who, they were firmly convinced, was in hiding. Although his whereabouts could not be definitely determined, it was believed that at the approaching trial evidence would be submitted to show that several persons had seen and conversed with Austin at Shrewsbury River and other places after his disappearance. There was reason to believe that the missing man found a secure retreat in the fastness of the Ariondac wilderness, from which, in various disguises, he made occasional trips to visit his children, who are being educated in Canada. Mr. F. A. Burnham, then counsel, now president of the Mutual Reserve Fund, said, 
there is no doubt that Austin is alive and in hiding, and that his disappearance was simply a carefully concocted scheme to defraud this company. It is quite possible that Austin never went near Manhattan Beach, and that the jewelry and valuables were placed in the bathhouse by a confederate. Here, said Mr. Burnham, is his picture as he was more than a year after his disappearance. The portrait represents a tall-statured man in a hunting costume and Winchester in hand, standing in front of a rough hunting lodge. It had evidently been cut from a group, for one side is a portion of a companion's figure, similarly clad and accoutred. When asked where he had obtained the picture, Mr. Burnham smiled and said, I'm not quite prepared to tell you how we got it or where it was taken. Mind, I don't say it was in the Ariondacks, but everyone knows what a famous hiding place those trackless woods would make for a man who wanted to disappear utterly from the world. When he disappeared, we tried to get from his family a picture, which we would have sent broadcast over the entire country, but they declared that they had nothing but an old tintype. Austin's will, dated January 28, 1885, leaving all his property to his children, was admitted to probate, without opposition, on September 21, 1891. Shortly afterward, the three children were taken to Canada, where they are living with their relatives. Mr. Etlinger, manager of the Death Claim Department of the United States Mutual Accident Association, said, We have made some investigation, and were satisfied long ago that Austin was alive. I don't think there is any doubt about it. As far as this company is concerned, however, it doesn't make a great deal of difference whether he is alive or dead. Our policy was an accident one, and in view of the circumstances of his alleged death, admitting that it took place, it is obviously impossible to determine whether it was accidental or suicidal. I fail to see how any claim can be made on us. Joseph F. Austin was firmly convinced that his brother was drowned and that his body was swept out to sea. He said that his brother had no conceivable motive for disappearing, and that his character forbade the presumption that he would attempt to defraud anyone. While he was not rich, he had means sufficient for his wants, and his business was in a prosperous condition. Mr. Austin thought that the picture in the possession of the insurance company was taken years ago, while his brother was on a hunting trip in the woods. The Mutual Reserve Fund Life Association, having refused to play a claim to the beneficiaries of a man whose death was not proved, and who was, with good reason, believed to be alive, suit was brought for recovery. The trial came on in the Supreme Court of the City of New York, January 2nd, 1894, and terminated on the 16th of the same month, with a verdict for the plaintiff for the full amount of the policies, $15,000. The result was anticipated as soon as it became apparent that the court would be likely to submit the case to a jury for determination. 
the only expectation of winning the case was founded upon the opinion that no proof was submitted to the jury on behalf of the plaintiff tending to show that austin was dead and in that opinion as matter of law the counsel of the association is as confirmed to-day as ever after the verdict was rendered the association would not authorize an appeal but directed payment of the full amount of the claim basing action upon the idea that the verdict was a justification for the payment of the claim such a payment being without warrant or authority independently of such verdict at the same time there is not the slightest doubt on the part of the men of trained observation that john c austin did not die by drowning at manhattan beach on the fourth of july eighteen ninety one the date of his alleged death and it will not be surprising if detective skill will yet be able to produce him alive and well in view of evidence in possession of the law department of the association End of section 89